Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid of the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson is Know the Enemy. Know the Enemy, brothers and sisters. Today we will utilize the Bible to learn more about they or he who opposes us brothers and sisters what you'll learn today is that the battles are won before they are fought brothers and sisters how how do you win the battle through knowledge and not just knowledge but wisdom knowledge is to know wisdom is how to apply what you know know the enemy brothers and sisters we're going to start off in Matthew the 12th chapter the 22nd through the 26th verse Matthew 12 and 22 reads, Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doeth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Christ knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought unto desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Verse 26 reads, And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Brothers and sisters, there's a few things we learn in these scriptures. The first thing we learn in verse 22 is it tells you that there was a brother who was possessed with the devil. How do we know? Because he was blind and dumb, showing you there's a spirit linked with those particular ailments, brothers and sisters. That's the first thing we learn. Also, the text highlights the power of division. Let us read it. Matthew 12 and 25 reads, And Christ knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Verse 26 reads, And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? So brothers and sisters, what does Christ reveal? Christ reveals that Satan indeed has a unseen kingdom. How do we know? Let us read it again. Matthew 12 and 26 reads, And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. And how shall then his kingdom stand? So Christ tells us that Satan's kingdom is monolithic, heightening our need for unity in doctrine, brothers and sisters. See? Are you seeing that? According to the text, Satan does have a kingdom, and his kingdom will not be divided. Why? Because Satan understands the power of divisiveness. He knows this, brothers and sisters. So we went here to do what? To show you that what? We wanted to show you that Satan does indeed have an unseen kingdom according to the Messiah. See, so let's first establish that. Let's establish 
that the enemy uses ailments as a way to what, brothers and sisters? As to handcuff you. You see that, brothers and sisters? So what are we doing? We're learning about the enemy. The first thing you must know about the enemy is that he has a kingdom according to Christ. Okay? Let's go to uh, let's go to Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the third and fourth verse. Follow us there, brothers and sisters. Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the third verse reads, "But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ." who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, Satan holds authority over all cultural systems of the earth. His dominion is secured by keeping the world in ignorance. How do we know? 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the fourth verse reads, actually, let's start at the third verse. Listen closely, brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians the fourth chapter, the third and fourth verse read, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in the in in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So, brothers and sisters, according to verse 4, his dominion is secured by keeping the world in ignorance. Why? Because, it, number one, it called him the God of this world. And then it said that he had blinded the minds of those who believe not. So what Satan blinds in men is their mind, their understanding, brothers and sisters. Proven what? Proven that the mind is the battleground. You see that, brothers and sisters? I'm going to read that again. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the third and fourth verse read, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So, brothers and sisters, according to the text, by default, any who neglect his prohibitions, his regulations are ruled by Satan. That's why it called him what? The God of this world. See? So, blind to knowing who the casting off of biblical restraint subjects them to. You're seeing that, brothers and sisters? By definition, they who cast off biblical restraint are subjects of Satan. Ignorance, according to the text, is the fuel for Satan's kingdom of darkness. See? In this text, it was it was littered with, with deep knowledge, brothers and sisters. It said that the gospel was hid to those who are lost. So they who are lost, the gospel is hidden from them. The text also yielded that what? Satan is the God of this world, and how does he rule? By blinding the minds of them who believe not. You see that, brothers and sisters? Ignorance is the fuel for Satan's kingdom of darkness, according to Paul. 
Let's prove that. Let's go to the Apocrypha. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus. The 5th chapter, the 15th verse. Please listen closely, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ecclesiasticus, the 5th chapter, the 15th verse reads, Be not ignorant of anything in a great matter or a small. I'm going to read that again. Ecclesiasticus, the 5th chapter, the 15th verse reads, Be not ignorant of anything in a great matter or a small. So, brothers and sisters, the author understands that Satan's kingdom can only operate on ignorance. See? Diligence should not be determined by the weight of a particular matter. How do we know? Ecclesiasticus 5 and 15 reads, Be not ignorant of anything in a great matter or a small. See? So what are we reading? The principle is you don't turn your diligence on and off, brothers and sisters. That's not a habit you want to build. Okay? Why? Because Satan will rule over you in any area of your ignorance. See? The author said what? He said don't be ignorant of anything, whether that's a small matter or a great matter. See? Let us show you something, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Isaiah, the 59th chapter, the second verse. Isaiah 59 and 2 reads, But your iniquities have separated you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Now look at this. Brothers and sisters, because we're reading the motive behind Satan's universal plan. According to Isaiah, sin separates us from fellowship with God. Why? Because two cannot walk together without agreement. Let us read that again. Isaiah 59 and 2. But your iniquities have separated you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now remember, our previous text said don't be ignorant in a small thing or a great thing. Satan is trying to keep you ignorant of this particular text. Isaiah 59 and 2 reads, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So look at that, brothers and sisters. Satan is aware that sin separates us from the benefits of God's love. See? So he needs you to sever ties with your source of protection. He knows this, brothers and sisters. He knows this. Let us show you something. Let's go to Proverbs, the first chapter, the 24th, do the 28th verse. Listen to this closely because Satan understands what we're getting ready to read, brothers and sisters. Proverbs, the first chapter, the 24th verse reads, Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. 
when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Mm. See, they know, Satan knows this scripture, brothers and sisters. See, the enemy knows that continual negligence will result in what, are we, in what we're reading, brothers and sisters. See, the texts indicate the deserved retribution for continual negligence. We're going to read those scriptures again. Listen closely, brothers and sisters, because Satan knows this information and every decision he makes, every temptation he provides is with this particular, these particular scriptures in mind. Proverbs chapter one, verse 24 through 28 read, because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me. But I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. See? So I need you to examine the venomous nature of sin, brothers and sisters, that makes the Most High take pleasure in our misery. See? So Satan needs you to solicit this type of response from the Most High. See? Satan's heinous plan can only be carried out if we solicit this type of response. Now, Christians didn't even know this was in the Bible. They think God is... You know, a butler, a maid, a bellboy. See? They believe that, you know, I can just do dirt all through life. And then when I need, you know, help, then I'll call upon him. And he'll answer. Because he's God. <laughs> Not according to the author of Proverbs. He's telling you that continual negligence does what? That means when you finally do want to listen to me, you, I'm not hearing it. I don't want to hear it. Too little, too late. See that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? Satan understands what we just read. So he has to get you right in that space, brothers and sisters, where God won't even hear you out. Okay? Let's go to 1 Samuel 12 and 15 to show you more of what the enemy knows. Why? Because today's lesson is titled, know the enemy so what are we going to do we're going to show you exactly what the enemy knows we're at first samuel the 12th chapter the 15th verse and it reads but if you will not obey the voice of the lord but rebel against the commandments of the lord then shall the hand of the lord be against you as it was against your father's let me read that again, brothers and sisters, because according to this text, insubordination would be a severe miscalculation warranting retribution. Satan says, listen, if I can get them to sin, I can provoke the retributive justice of the Most High. Let me read it again, brothers and sisters. 
First Samuel, the 12th chapter, the 15th verse reads, But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you, as it was against your fathers. See? So we're reading the motive behind Satan's proposition of temptation. He needs you to destroy yourself. That's what he needs. He knows that sin is self-destructive, brothers and sisters. He knows these scriptures. He knows these scriptures. Remember, he was amongst the Most High. See, he spent time with the Most High. He knows these scriptures. How do we know? Because he, when he was in, in Matthew, the fourth chapter, when Christ was in the wilderness, Satan was using scripture, brothers and sisters. So don't believe because a brother or a sister can memorize the Bible that they're righteous. The Most High is not looking for memorization. He's looking for demonstration. So let's put that out there. Okay. Let's put that out there. We're just showing you first. We did what? We showed that Satan has a kingdom. We also showed that he knows there is a point in time where the Most High will ignore your call, your supplication, your petition. See, he also knows that continual negligence, especially from the children of Israel, will put the Most High God's hands against you. And at that point, you have to box with God. See, <laughs> he knows this. He can't do anything to you, but he can get God to do. He can try and get God to fight against you. And I promise you one thing. You don't want to be in the boxing ring with the most high God. Your arms are not long enough for that. Brothers and sisters. Follow us to Proverbs 5 and 22. Because right now we're, we're dealing with reconnaissance. You need to know what the enemy knows. Because once you know what the enemy knows, you know how he's going to attack you, brothers and sisters. So it's our job at the Commandment Keepers Church to do what? To help educate our brothers and sisters so they can defend themselves. That's what our church is, you know, that's one of our responsibilities as shepherds is to what? Help protect God's flock, his sheep brothers and sisters. And we're going to do that today. We're going to give you all the information that he understands and, uh, and then allow you to process that and build a defense for yourself. We're here at Proverbs, the fifth chapter, the 22nd verse, and it reads, his iniquities shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. Listen to it again, brothers and sisters. Proverbs, the fifth chapter, the 22nd verse reads, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. So, brothers and sisters, it would be improper to overlook such a declaration as this. Why? Because the text emphasizes the apprehending nature of sin. The sinner is self-imprisoned, delivering himself unto Satan. Let's hear it again. Proverbs, the fifth chapter, the 22nd verse reads, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, 
and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. So brothers and sisters, I need you to examine sin's deceptive nature. How many times has a person said, I can stop when I want? <laughs> See, that's the deceptive nature of it because it tells you he'll be holding with the cords of his sins, which means you won't be able to pull away when you want. You'll be subjected. You'll be yoked. See, it also tells you that the wicked would what? The wicked is taken by his own iniquities. Iniquity is what? Iniquity is invisible sin, brothers and sisters. When we say invisible sin, it's the sins that can't be seen. It's the sins that are in your heart, like anger, jealousy, envy, lust, bitterness. All of those things cannot be seen. Another brother can't look at you and say, oh yeah, I see this, right? So iniquity is the things in your heart, that hatred, that anger, that malice, that bitterness, etc., etc. See? So, brothers and sisters, do not be fooled. Evil deeds become evil habits. I'm going to read that again, brothers and sisters. Please listen. Proverbs, the fifth chapter, the 22nd verse, and it reads, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. See? So, it, it this is... It's emphasizing the deceptive nature, the apprehending nature of sin, brothers and sisters. Okay? Now, let's learn more about our enemy. Number one, the word Satan means adversary, brothers and sisters. In the Hebrew hermeneutics, a person's name, it was more than just a name. It represented who they were. It represented character, brothers and sisters. So Satan, his character for that name means he would be an adversary. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Let's go to the New Testament, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 1 Peter, the 5th chapter, the 8th verse. 1 Peter 5 and 8 reads, Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, excuse me, brothers and sisters. Devil means adversary, Salathia. But I need you to listen to it again. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So let's break down the text. The first thing Peter says is to be sober. Sober implies mentally alert and self-control, brothers and sisters. The second thing Peter admonishes us to do is to be vigilant, which means watchful, awake, and alert, brothers and sisters. Let, let us read it again. First Peter, the fifth chapter, the eighth verse reads, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So when it talks about 
walks about. That conveys the idea that Satan's constant state of activity. <laughs> That's the idea that it's conveying, brothers and sisters, when it says he walketh about. So he's always looking for what? He's always looking for some prey. Now, there's something we can't miss. The text calls Satan a roaring lion. Now, that's critical. Because the utilization of the term lion is reflective of Satan's true nature. Many are ignorant of his nature and therefore become prey for his attacks, brothers and sisters. Okay? So, if it's calling him a lion... Now we have to look at the character of a lion. Look at the behaviors of a lion. See, Peter was he was trying to give us as much reconnaissance as possible. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha. Ecclesiasticus, the 13th chapter, the 19th verse, and it reads, As the wild ass is the lion's prey in the wilderness, so the rich eat up the poor. Now, brothers and sisters, why identify Satan with such a ferocious animal? As we'll see, the author intends for this spiritual imagery to help us stay alert. Remember, Peter said, what did Peter say? Peter said that the adversary or our adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then Ecclesiasticus says, as the wild ass is the lion's prey in the wilderness. You see that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> so he's always looking for a way to maneuver you into a position alone, just like the lion. Now, according to the text, a wild ass is seen as prey for a lion. That's critical right there because a wild ass is an expression for stubborn, untamed, and reckless in nature. You see that? The lion's prey is what? It's a wild ass. Now that's critical. That's critical that you understand that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Jeremiah. We're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 24, and it reads, A wild ass used to the wilderness that snuffeth up the wind at her pleasure. In her occasion, who can turn her away? All they that seek her will not weary themselves. In her month, they shall find her. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. It's telling you that the wild ass... Once they have a scent of their desire, they will not be restricted. You see that, brothers and sisters? So, a wild ass, when her sexual impulse is strongest, she puts herself in the way of the males. See, now you're learning about the ass also, brothers and sisters. So, it's telling you the ass is so stubborn that when she has her mind determined, when it's mating season, brothers and sisters, nothing will stop her from finding the males. Now, guess what? Listen to it again. Jeremiah 2 and 24 reads, A wild ass is used 
to the wilderness that snuffeth up the wind at her pleasure in her occasion who can turn her away all they that seek her will not weary themselves why because in her month they shall find her <laughs> so what is the text telling you it's telling you that they know where she's going she's going to fulfill her desire so we don't have to chase her all through the wilderness we know the destination see so Satan waits for us to come out as what? As voluntary prey, brothers and sisters. So what was the author trying to show us in Ecclesiastes? He told you that the wild ass is prey for the lion, right? And then we went into the wild ass and some of the characteristics. And it was that when they have a desire, they will not be deferred. They will not be deterred no matter what. They're going to accomplish what their, you know, what their desire is. If that is you, then you are the wild ass. Are you seeing this, brothers and sisters? And it's telling you that the enemy, the lion, is not going to chase you all over the place. They know that once you get a whiff of that desire, you're going to accomplish it. And he will be there waiting. This is critical, brothers and sisters. Document that into your mental Rolodex as we continue. Let's go back to the Apocrypha. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, the 27th chapter in the 10th verse. Ecclesiasticus 27 and 10 reads, As the lion lieth in wait for the prey, so sin for them that work iniquity. Let's read that again. Ecclesiasticus, the 27th chapter in the 10th verse. And it reads, As the lion lieth in wait for the prey, so sin for them that work iniquity. So according to the author, brothers and sisters, lions are skilled and experienced hunters. So they patiently stalk their prey. A lion patiently waits to find a weakness to exploit. If you've ever watched, you know, some of those nature shows, the lion doesn't do a lot of running. He watches, he sits, he waits, and then he pounces when he knows you're at your weakness, at your weakest. Either you're alone, right? So here it is. We're learning about the devil. Why? Because Peter said that the devil or Satan is as a roaring lion. So now what did we do? We went and looked around in the Bible for the attributes of a lion. And it tells you in Ecclesiasticus 27 and 10 that he's very patient. He waits on his prey. He's not going to waste any energy. See? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, the 10th chapter, the 12th and 13th verse. Ecclesiasticus 10 and 12 reads, The beginning of pride is when one departeth from God, and his heart is turned away from his maker. Verse 13, For pride is the beginning of sin, and he that hath it shall pour out abomination and therefore the Lord brought upon 
upon them strange calamities and overthrew them utterly. So brothers and sisters, Satan is looking for this. Why? He knows that sin separates you from God and he knows if I can just find pride, if I can just find pride, then I know at some point they're going to be without protection. See, so this is what Satan is looking for. Let me read it again. Satan knows this, brothers and sisters. We're going to reveal what he knows. Ecclesiasticus, the 10th chapter, the 12th and 13th verse, and they read, The beginning of pride is when one departeth from God, or depart from their protection, and his heart is turned away from his maker. See? So Satan knows if he can find somebody with some pride, then automatically they're turned away from God. They're turned away from their protection. So that person he will stalk. Verse 13 reads, For pride is the beginning of sin, and he that hath it shall pour out abomination. And therefore the Lord brought upon them strange calamities and overthrew them utterly. So Satan knows the separation needed will come as a result of the pride. You see that? <laughs> you, you believe that your opinion matters. Right? That if you don't agree, then you don't do it. Right? Gee, he's looking for that. There's certain tells that he's looking for. He knows, okay, this person have all these symptoms of pride. Right? You can see it in their mannerisms, how they speak, all of this. I'm going to, I'll just hang around. I'll hang around. Because at some point, their pride is going to pull them away from God. And, at, and then, he's going to pounce. Brothers and sisters, why? Because the text tells you that the beginning of pride is when you depart from God. That's what he's looking for, brothers and sisters. So you have to, we have to, brothers and sisters, swallow your, you know, put your pride in your pocket. And smother yourself in humility. Because the enemy knows that pride means that you're soon to be departed away from God. Why? Because he was kicked out for that. It was his pride, as the scriptures told us, and we're going to pull that. So he knows that the Most High cannot stand a proud person. He cannot stand pride. Now, many of us believe that pride is, oh, I think I'm better than somebody. <laughs> That's a form of pride, yeah. But that's not the one most people struggle with. The one that pe most people struggle with is they believe they their way is the only way. If it don't go my way, then I, I don't want to deal with it. That's pride. That means you think too highly of yourself. That means you've been deceived by your own opinion. That's the pride that most people deal with. All nations, of all nationalities of people. Right? Let's go to Psalms 138 and 6 because he knows Psalms 138 and 6 and it reads, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Let us read that again. Listen closely, brothers and sisters. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, 
but the crown he knoweth afar off. See? But the proud he knoweth afar off. So he knows that God's nature will force him to distance himself from the proud. See that? The psalmist told us that God knows the proud afar off, at a distance. And guess what? I promise you one thing. Satan understands this. He has this level of comprehension. He knows this. How does he know this? The answer is Ezekiel 28 and 4. And this is about Lucifer. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, the 4th and 5th verse read, With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches, and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thy riches. And thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. There's a couple of things here. There's a couple of things working here, brothers and sisters. According to this text, Lucifer or, or Satan has wisdom and understanding. <laughs> See, he's not a fool, brothers and sisters. You have to remember, he was an archangel, brothers and sisters. Listen to it again, because look at what got him caught up. Ezekiel 28 and 4 reads, With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches, and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. So here it is, he has wisdom and understanding. So that means he has knowledge and he knows how to apply that knowledge, right? Listen to verse 5. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thy riches. And thine heart is lifted up. Why? Because of thy riches. So he knows this. He knows that the time of our prosperity is the optimal time to strike. See? He knows when everything is going well, that's when you fall. That's usually when you go sideways. And this is why many rich people, many celebrities do not follow God. Satan knows this. He knows that the, you know, when, when you're happy, when things are going well, you typically, you know, that's his best chance to, to get you off your square. Why? So when a brother is making tens of thousands of dollars, he's thinking, well, you know, I could break the Sabbath one time. I mean, it's not like my, not like God can pull away my money. You know, I got a good paying job, nice car, woman and all that. See, he knows this. He knows that the time of our prosperity is the optimal time to strike. Because why? People usually get loose when everything is going well, brothers and sisters. Usually when, when everything's tight, you're close to the best. You walk that straight and narrow. Why? Because you know you need the most highest help. But when you believe you don't need his help, because your pocket's full of money or, or whatever the case is, that is the optimal time to strike, according to Ezekiel. See, so here it is, brothers and sisters. We're learning so much about the enemy. 
We understand now that he has a kingdom, brothers and sisters. We understand that his kingdom is operated on ignorance, right? We understand that the Bible, Peter said that he was like a lion. And that a lion's prey is usually the wild ass. That means the stubborn, right? Now we're also learning that when Satan's riches, his treasures, everything that he had took his heart away, he understands, all right. It was the riches, it was the glory, it was the prosperity that I experienced that led, led my heart to be prideful and proud. So if that happened to him, shall it not happen to us also, brothers and sisters? Is it a possibility? So now that we've read that, brothers and sisters, matter of fact, let me let the scripture speak for itself. Let's go to Deuteronomy 8 and 11 to prove that prosperity is usually the optimal time to strike. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, the 11th through the 14th verse. Please listen closely, brothers and sisters. Verse 11 reads, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and are full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Mm. It doesn't get any more clear than that, brothers and sisters. The Most High used Moses to put this in the Torah. It says, let me read verse 12 and 13. Lest when thou hast eaten and are full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, when thy herds and flocks have multiplied, when thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up. See, so he was telling you that our people, predominantly the children of Israel, at this time, he knew that we had a proclivity, a tendency that when things were going well, we really didn't want to hear from the Most High. I really don't have time right now. <laughs> I really don't have time to read my Bible. I got money in my pocket right now. It's burning a hole in my pocket. <laughs> I need to go out to the, you know, to the club or the bar or, or whatever people do, right? See, so Satan understands this. He knows that the optimal time to strike is when everything is going well. Because people get loose when everything's going well. They're too happy. Not too happy, but usually when you, you know, you're happy and stuff, you're not even thinking about what the Most High wants from you. You're not thinking about laws. <laughs> you're not thinking about rules and regulations. See that? Now that's critical, brothers and sisters, because now we understand that our people, all people, Jews and Gentiles have to be very, very careful. Very careful. We're going to prove that. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha. 
the 11th chapter in the 25th verse. Ecclesiasticus 11 and 25 reads, In the day of prosperity, there is a forgetfulness of affliction. And in the day of affliction, there is no more remembrance of prosperity. One of the most powerful scriptures in the Apocrypha, brothers and sisters, is one of the most authentic, genuine, true statements in all of the literature, all of the manuscript, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read that again. Ecclesiasticus, the 11th chapter in the 25th verse, and it reads, In the day of prosperity, there is a forgetfulness of affliction. Brothers and sisters, this is very, very concerning. Why? Because it's telling you that you become loose living because you think you're insulated to some degree. When everything's going well, your job is going well, cars operating right, everything's good in your relationship and all that, then we start living very loosely. Because why? I really, you know, my bills are paid. I don't need to pray for my bills to be paid. <laughs> See? So according to the author, God is often forgotten in the days of our prosperity. Success has a tendency to lure us away from our dependence on God. Let me read that again, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus the 11th chapter in the 25th verse reads, In the day of prosperity, there is a forgetfulness of affliction. And in the day of affliction, there is no more remembrance of prosperity. So according to the text, brothers and sisters, forgetfulness becomes most prevalent when we're enjoying our prosperity, when we're having success. He allowed this literature to be recorded because he wants us to learn this principle, brothers and sisters. And we can see it. Just look amongst our people when they get money, right? Then what starts to happen? They start dressing funny. <laughs> Brothers start putting on feminine clothes and all this stuff. They start doing heavy drugs, all this stuff, right? Why? Because I got money to blow. So now a brother who already struggled with drugs now can afford the most expensive drug. Now a brother who was already an alcoholic, instead of buying one beer because his finances only allowed him to do so, what happens? Now he can buy liquor and bottles and all this stuff anytime he wants. See, so there's a danger, brothers and sisters, and the Most High knows that some of us cannot be trusted with success. And that's so unfortunate. The most I have to keep us low because we can't be trusted. As soon as things go well, you believe you're insulated and then you start operating outside of the parameters or the restrictions God has laid down. Think, brothers and sisters, is this true? Has this ever happened to you? Has this ever happened to you, brothers and sisters? See, Satan understands this. He attacks you when everything is going well. Let's go to Ezekiel 28 and 17, brothers and sisters. 
speaking about Lucifer. Isaiah 28 and 17 reads, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. Because if you look at it closely, it tells you that Lucifer has knowledge. But his knowledge is corrupt. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let us show you. Ezekiel 28 and 17 reads, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Mm. See, so it tells you, brothers and sisters, his wisdom is corrupt. Showing you two things. He does have the wisdom, but he uses it in a corrupt manner. So all of these scriptures that the Bible have given us to do what? To prepare us. He uses this in his playbook. He has a blueprint where he's using the Bible against us, brothers and sisters. See? And then when he catches us, you know, dealing in sin, then he go before the Father and say, well, your word says this, Father. Your word does say that. That's why the, the Bible called him the accuser of the brethren. Because all he used to do was just accuse, accuse, accuse. He's like, you see her? You see what she's wearing, right? Right? Is that a virtuous daughter right there? Right? What about this brother getting high, smoking ganja? Put, you know, putting stuff up his nose. Right? Didn't you say that sin should be, you know... Didn't you say that sin would have to be reciprocated with calamity? This is what he does, brothers and sisters. You have to learn the enemy. You have to learn how he operates. You have to learn what he knows. Because why? According to the text, his wisdom is corrupt. He's using it in a corrupt manner against me, against us, brothers and sisters. Let us show you the application of his wisdom on display. Why? Because Ezekiel said he had wisdom, but it was corrupt. We're going to show you that. Let's go to Christ. Let's show you something, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew, the fourth chapter. Anyone who's familiar with the gospel knows that at the end of Matthew 3, Christ was baptized. At the beginning of Matthew 4, he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, right? Now, we're going to show you what transpired while Christ, while Christ was fasting. We're here at Matthew, the fourth chapter, the eighth through the eleventh verse, and it reads, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. And showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Christ unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. 
Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now, brothers and sisters, I hope you caught that, because Satan understood what Christ desired, what was promised. Because once again, proven that Satan has authority on earth, I need you to listen. Matthew 4 and 8 reads, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou fall down and worship me. Proven that what? Satan is the God of this world, because Christ did not, Christ didn't say he wasn't telling the truth, right? Christ didn't even try to battle him on that point, because he knew it was true. But we wanted to show you that Satan was very calculated with the presentation of this temptation. Examine the meticulous nature of this specific temptation. I'm going to read it again. Matthew, the fourth chapter, the eighth verse, and it reads, The devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou fall down and worship me. So here, brothers and sisters, Lucifer or Satan was offering Christ a kingdom. He was offering him rulership. Now, why is that so important, brothers and sisters? Because you're going to learn that Satan understood what Christ desired, and that is what he promised him. Let's go to Daniel, the seventh chapter in the 13th verse to prove to you that he understood what Christ's desire was, showing you the what? The corruption of his wisdom. We're here at Daniel, the seventh chapter, the 13th and the 14th verse. Verse 13 reads, I saw in night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. And came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So this was Christ being brought before the Ancient of Days, which is the Most High. Verse 14 reads, And there was given him dominion and glory in the kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Now look at this, brothers and sisters, because this is, a pro this is a prophetic text. It's a prophetic text that Christ will be delivered all the kingdoms of the earth. I'm going to read it again. Verse 14 says, And there was given him dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Now, what did Lucifer, what did Satan tempt him with? He said, well, listen, I'll give you one of these kingdoms. The only thing you have to do is fall down and follow me. See that, brothers and sisters? So he takes advantage of our natural desires the things that are appealing to us individually. 
So you can't say that he's not smart. You can't say that he's not intelligent. We just proved to you that he had the wisdom. It's just corrupt. He knows that the scripture tells Christ, you know, that he's going to have rulership. But Satan is like, well, Christ, you have to die to get that one. Listen, I'll give it to you now without having to go through that process. Just fall down, you know, worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms. You won't have to be beat and whipped and rejected and crucified. You know, that's for chumps. See, this is what he did, brothers and sisters. He's like, I know what's promised to you. I know what our father promised to you, but you got to die to get that. Fall down right now and worship me. I'll give it to you. See, brothers and sisters. Let's go to James, the first chapter, the 14th and 15th verse. James chapter 1 and 14 reads, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Mm. Listen to this again, brothers and sisters. James, the first chapter in the 14th verse reads, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Now look at that. <laughs> According to the text, desire comes before temptation. Why? Because you can't be tempted to do something you don't desire. Brothers and sisters, how do we know? Can I tempt you to eat a bowl of gravel? <laughs> See? So the source of all temptation is found where? In the man or woman themselves. Mm. See that, brothers and sisters? The source of solicitation of sin has its residence in the heart of the man or the woman. See, Satan knows this. He knows that he can't just tempt you with things you don't desire. So he knows what you desire. Okay? And then he tempts you with that. Now, that's critical that you know that, brothers and sisters. Listen to this again. James, the first chapter, the 14th and 15th verse reads, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lusts have conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So brothers and sisters, according to James, lust has a child named sin. And when sin grows to full age, it has a baby named death. See? Sin grows up and it produces death, brothers and sisters. You see that? We're learning a lot about the enemy today, brothers and sisters. We're learning that He's, he, he, he wants to know the things that you desire. And then he'll say, well, listen, I'll give it to you this way. Right? Because why? God's way is taking too long. Okay? God's saying you have to wait and do this and do that. I'll give it to you now. Just, you know, get up and, and swing your behind on a pole. <laughs> uh, I'll give it to you now. 
well, brother, just, you know, I know you want the money and the, the new car and all that, brother, but just go, uh, you know, just go sell some, some uh, crack cocaine to, uh, to your own people. See? You don't even have to work like that, brother. We'll get you that car. Just take this rock on the block. <laughs> right? Just go, yeah, just go peddle that all up in the ghettos. See, this is what Satan does. He knows what your desire is by watching us. And then he does what? He finds another way in which he can give it to you, you know, without it coming through God. So don't think that Satan can't give you blessings, brothers and sisters, because we're learning right now. Everything that you get does not come from God because God would never give you something to destroy yourself. You know who would? Lucifer, Satan, the devil. See? So don't ever think that because people are getting certain things and they seem blessed and all that, that they're getting that from the Most High. Because all throughout the Old Text, excuse me, the Old Testament, there was child sacrifice going on where our people were had a metal bull that they placed on top of a fire. And they would put the children inside this metal calf this metal bull, as the flames are engulfing this bull, and the children would be screaming and, and burning alive. And why were they doing that? They were doing that to get blessings from the devil. Same way a lot of these celebrities are doing right now, brothers and sisters. So if it's really about getting things and what you want, then you're in a dangerous position because Satan will give you those things. But there's a cost. It's a package deal. I'll give you those things, but it's going to cost you your soul. It's a package deal. Who's prepared to pay that price? Not believers in Christ. See? That's why he said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Not seek your own wealth. Not seek cars. Not seek marriage. No. Nah. Because why? Satan, if he knows that you salivate for those things, he will give you the things to destroy you. Right? If you salivate from, from marriage, he'll send somebody, yeah, somebody there that will destroy your whole life. Okay? He'll send the wrong brother up in there, sister. He'll send the wrong sister up in there. Why? Just because you don't want to be alone. Right? And, and any brother from the street know what? Any brother from the street know all money ain't good money, is it? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 18 and 20, brothers and sisters. We're at Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha, the 18th chapter and the 20th verse. Listen closely, please, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus 18 and 20 reads, Before judgment examine thyself, and in the day of visitation thou shalt find mercy. I'm going to read that again. Ecclesiasticus, the 18th chapter, the 20th verse reads, Before judgment examine thyself, and in the day of visitation Thou shalt find mercy. 
So according to the tax, brothers and sisters, we need self-examination in order to learn our weaknesses and build a defense. Why? Because we can only be seriously tempted by what we desire, right? Temptation is not something that just happens to us. It's something that happens within us, brothers and sisters. So guess what? The most effective way to fight sin is by changing our desires. This is a lifelong battle because our natural nature is to sin, brothers and sisters. So the enemy knows this. He knows this. And it would be a miscalculation on your part to think that the devil is just some ignorant, you know, a fallen angel somewhere. That would be a severe miscalculation. And obviously you either didn't read the Bible or you misinterpreted the Bible. Because why? The Bible does not corroborate or authenticate that particular understanding of Satan being dumb and, and all that. Let's go back to Ezekiel 28. If you haven't really caught on yet, brothers and sisters, you have Isaiah, uh, the 14th chapter, and Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, um, that both are speaking of Lucifer, brothers and sisters. So you go through those, uh, you go through those, those chapters, right? And they give you the Most High referring to Lucifer. When you go to Isaiah, the 14th chapter, the 12th on down, he's speaking directly to Lucifer and what the prophecy is concerning him. Ezekiel 28, the same exact thing, brothers and sisters. And here, we're at Ezekiel 28 and 18. Because we showed you, or we used the Bible to show you that the, the temptation comes from within. You cannot be tempted to do something you don't desire, right? And we're going to prove that. And we're going to prove how he knows this. We're here at Ezekiel 28 and 18. And it reads, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all of them that behold thee. Look at what he's saying, brothers and sisters. He's telling you, number one, he said it was your iniquity, which is sin from within. He said, I would bring a fire from the midst of thee, from the inside of you. Let us read that again. Ezekiel 28 and 18 reads, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. See, so it's what's inside of you that destroyed you. This is what he's telling Lucifer. The external manifestation of what's inside is what destroyed you. 
So according to the to the text, destruction comes from within. It is a fire from within that will consume and devour us. And he knows this because the Most High said it to him. See? Thou shalt perish by thy own sins as a house is burnt by a fire kindled from within itself, brothers and sisters. Even Christ said it. He said it's not, you know, it's not what goes into a man that defile him. It was, it's what come out of a man that defile him. So that's why Ecclesiastic has said, brothers and sisters, examine yourself before judgment and in the day of visitation. What's the day of visitation? When Christ comes back. And he's not going to want to do no talking. He's not going to want to hear any explaining. Okay? You should have used your time wisely. Okay? Let's go to Mark, brothers and sisters, because we wanted to prove what Christ said. Mark 7 and 15 reads, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. So Christ's primary concern was the condition of our inner man. I'm going to read that again. Mark 7 and 15 reads, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. I'm going to read verse 20. Mark 7 and 20 reads, And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. See? So here he fixes our attention not on outward results, but inward motives. Brothers and sisters, Christ's core teachings revolved around morality rather than ritual. Now, a Christian will go right here and say, well, yeah, see, Christ said we can eat pork. <laughs> I mean, how elementary? How simple can we be? This, this whole chapter is not talking about food at all. But they'll use that. They'll use, they'll go right here and say, see, Christ said it. Christ said we eat whatever. It won't do nothing to us. That's not what Christ said. Christ was not even, was not talking about pork here. Christ was talking about something greater. And it was iniquity. And we read it in Ezekiel 28 where it said that thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy travel. Excuse me, by the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth. So Ezekiel said that what? There was a fire that was within him that devoured him, brothers and sisters. It's the iniquity, brothers and sisters. It's the secret sins. It's the sins that nobody else knows about. It's the bitterness that you harbor, the lust, the anger, the malice, the lack of forgiveness, the lack of submissiveness, the envy, the jealousy. It's, it's those things that is like a fire within a, you know, it's like a fire in a house that burns down the entire house. 
Satan understand all this, brothers and sisters. He understands all of this. Follow us to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 4th and 5th verse. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4 reads, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to read verse 4 again. Listen closely, please. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4 reads, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So, brothers and sisters, the weapons that we must use must correspond with the nature of the war, right? It's not a physical war, it's a spiritual war, and therefore, therefore, we have to fight it spiritually. Why? Because the enemy tries to establish a foothold to take a small piece of territory. Remember, it said pulling down of strongholds, but before you have a stronghold, you need a foothold. A foothold is the opportunity the enemy takes, which leads on to strongholds. It's a door, the legal right that allows satanic invasion. See? So it's if you've ever tried to, you have siblings, right? And you're running, right? You're running and you're playing and you try to shut the door behind you and they stick their foot in the door. They got their foot and their arm in there. So you really can't close the door. You're trying to close it, but they got their foot there. All of us who have siblings have done this before. Or have you seen the movies where there's a killer or something chasing down a sister or whatever, and they run into the house and they shut the door, but the killer throws his arm and his foot right there so she can't shut the door? That's a foothold, brothers and sisters. And the scripture, the text says, we must pull down strongholds. But how does it become a stronghold? It first starts with the foothold. Letting Satan get his foot in that door so you can't close it. Right? Let's go to Romans, brothers and sisters. I'm going to show you something. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. We're going to show you what a foothold is. Brothers and sisters, okay? So here it is. We're at Romans, the first chapter, the 24th through the 32nd verse. We're going to show you what a foothold is, brothers and sisters. Romans 1 and 24 reads, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness or uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one to another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was me. Verse 28 reads, and, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Listen to the next part. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Now, brothers and sisters, look, the first scriptures, uh, 24 through 29, it talked about homosexuality. It talked about a woman leaving the natural use, right, of her body and a man dealing with a man doing things that are unseemly. So that was the foothold. Now we're going to show you what everything that came with the homosexuality. We're at Romans 1 and 29 and it reads, Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, and disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who know in the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now look at that. Mm. <laughs> it's saying they know the judgment, but they have pleasure in people who are, who are breaking God's law. Now, if you know anything about homosexual, you've seen homosexuals on TV, you know, on uh, what, uh, a lot of those reality shows that sisters be watching, all of the things in this list you can find amongst the homosexuals. I'm going to read it again because it showed you that the foothold was what was the homosexuality. That's how the spirit got in. But all this other stuff came with it. Verse 28 of the first chapter in Romans says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. A reprobate, a reprobate mind, brothers and sisters, means it's when a homosexual start believing that I was born this way, right? And that's just an example because homosexuals are not the only reprobates. But when they start to believe that what they're doing is actually right, they've been deceived so long, now they're claiming God made them that way. And you know what come with that? Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication. We know it's about fornication. Why? Because you're saying you're homosexual. That's only about sex. <laughs> Why? By you saying you're gay, you're just telling us your quote-unquote sexual orientation, right? It says covetousness, right? Maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate. You know they will debate you down, right? Deceit, malignity, whisperers. So yes, they deal with all type of gossip, backbiters. Haters of God. Now, you know they hate God. Why? Because they know God's word says that homosexuals or being a homosexual is a sin. Right? It says they're despiteful, 
proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents. Now, you know they're disobedient to their parents because I don't know no parent in their right mind that would want their man to be grinding up on another man. I don't know no no parent in their right mind who want a sister to be, you know, bumping all up, you know, with other sisters. See? So we're just showing you. We wanted to give you a an example of a foothold and all the things that come behind it. Right? 24 through 29 talked about homosexuality. Right? And then it went into all the things that come through that doorway that was opened by homosexuality. So you have to know how Satan operates. Only thing he needs is to, uh, he needs to get his foot in the door. He needs a legal right to get his foot in the door. And once his foot is in the door, he's coming in and out at will. Let us show you. Let us show you. David had a foothold, brothers and sisters. King David. Now, brothers and sisters, follow us to 2 Samuel, the 5th chapter, the 10th through the 13th verse. Why? Because we're going to show you how strongholds or footholds work. Um, we're going to go straight to David. We're going to show you that David had a foothold that became a stronghold later on in his life. So nobody is above this, including me, brothers and sisters. We're here at 2 Samuel, the 5th chapter, the 10th verse. And it reads, And David went on and grew great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he, and that he exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. Second Samuel 5 and 13 reads, and David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. And there were yet sons and daughters born to David. Now, brothers and sisters, according to the text, David had an appetite for women proved by his many wives and concubines. Now, this is well before Bathsheba, brothers and sisters. David had strong sexual desires and sought to satisfy his urges by accumulating women. Because here we're in 2 Samuel 5 and 10. It's not to 2 Samuel chapter 11 where he started to deal with Uriah's wife. Okay? So here it shows you that there was a foothold in David. The Bible tells you that David was a good looking man, right? It tells you, of course, he was a man of war. So you know women probably salivated over this young man, right? Okay? So Satan understood this. Satan understood that David had a weakness for women based upon the evidence provided by all the concubines and wives that David um, multiplied to himself, which is actually against the Torah. Now, let us show you, because that was the foothold. That's where it began. Let's go to 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, the 2nd through the 4th verse, and it reads... And it came to pass in an evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. 
And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came unto him. And he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanliness, and she returned to her house. Now, there's something critical here, brothers and sisters, because it tells you that when David inquired after this sister, there was a brother there who said, isn't that, isn't that Uriah's wife? Uriah being a brother that's in his army, that's putting his life on the line for David. So David really did not care at this point. But we're showing you that he had a, if there was a foothold. Because why? In 2 Samuel chapter 5, he had multiplied concubines and wives, showing that he had a sexual appetite. Well before he took this brother's wife. He put this sister in a, you know, in a, a situation where she really couldn't win because here it was a man of authority and power. In fact, the king, the most powerful man in the land outside of the prophet, and he's summoning you to his quarters. Right? And we know that sisters are, you know, easily manipulated as by Eve. Right. So David had a problem with lust, which resulted in an affair with another man's wife. Long before David took Uriah's wife, he opened the door and let the devil invade. David allowed the devil to occupy a place within him. So the enemy knew, OK, he has a problem with women. Right. I'll come back there when I need to, you know, when I need to run rampant in David, I know I come through the door of lust because that door is there. Why? Because second Samuel, the fifth chapter in the 13th verse said, David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron and there were yet sons and daughters born to David. Now, this is six chapters before he's taken a man's wife. You see that, brothers and sisters? This is a foothold. Satan now knows that David, according to 2 Samuel 5, struggled with sexual urges. And that came to a, you know, that came to a height where he disregarded that this sister was married. Right? Because why? When you have a struggle with lust, there's going to come a time where you really don't care about who this person is. Uh, dealing with or anything like that. And guess what? That opened the door to what, brothers and sisters? Murder. See this foothold? Let's go to 2 Samuel 12 and 9. 2 Samuel 12 and 9 reads, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. So brothers and sisters, we knew about the giant that David slew, but now we see the giant that slew David. Lust. You see that, brothers and sisters? Here it was, the prophet was calling the morning. What did the prophet say? Second Samuel 12 and 9, and it reads, Wherefore, Hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife 
and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. See this, brothers and sisters? So the foothold began with the lust in 2 Samuel, the fifth chapter. And it progressed, what? To where that lust overtook him. And he, he did what? He, he slept with a brother's wife. And then what happened? Then he lied about it. And he also, in conjunction with lying, he had this brother killed. So Satan got in through that door, that lust door. But that lust door opened up to adultery. It opened up to fornication. It opened up to lying. It opened up to murder. Brothers and sisters. And we're showing you how the enemy works. Only thing he needs is a foothold. The same way in Romans, the first chapter, it started off with what? Homosexuality. And then it went into the plethora of other things that come with homosexuality when you open that door, brothers and sisters. See, we're showing you what a foothold is, brothers and sisters. Let's deal with Saul. Let's show you Saul's. Let's go to 1 Samuel, brothers and sisters. The 18th chapter, the 5th through the 29th verse. <clears throat> verse 5 reads, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So look at this, brothers and sisters. Now the sisters are saying that David, you know, Saul, he's great, but David has slaughtered a giant which is like slaughtering 10,000, right? 2 Samuel 18 and 8. Listen closely, please. And Saul was very wroth, and the same displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Right? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. So here it is, brothers and sisters, the acclamation of the women led to an explicit statement of Saul's jealousy and hatred of David, right? Saul soon becomes jealous of David and plots to kill him. And guess what? Satan used the stronghold in an attempt to kill David. We're going to read it again, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you where the whole thing started with Saul. And it started through these sisters doing what? These sisters praising David more than they praised Saul. I'm going to read it again. 1 Samuel 18 and 7 reads, And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul have slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And unto me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? 
And Saul eyed David from that day forward. So from that day forward, brothers and sisters, he was looking to destroy David. Here it is. I'm at 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter, the 10th verse, and it reads, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it, and David avoided out of his presence twice. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. In Saul's depression, he throws a spear at David twice. So here Saul shows us that the jealousy is actually one step shorter than murder, because now look at that. It began with the jealousy and the pride, and now it's worked its way up to attempted murder. See, where did it come in? It came in when the sisters were praising David more than Saul. So the jealousy got in, brothers and sisters. The envy got in. And now he's looking to murder. 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter, the 12th verse. And it reads, And Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him. And was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him. And made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. So here it was. He elevated David to a field officer. In hopes of killing him. Same thing David did right? 1 Samuel 18 and 14 reads. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he be behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So that means that he went out and, and led us into war, and then he brought us back home safely. 1 Samuel 18 and 17 reads, And Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter Merab, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. So here it was. He was sending David out to battle to be killed by the Philistines. <clears throat> First Samuel 18 and 18 reads, And David said unto Saul, Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it came to pass at that time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should had been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel, the, the Maholiite, to wife. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and this thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore, Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law, in the one of the twain. And Saul commanded his servants, saying, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king hath delight in thee, 
and all his servants loved thee. Now, therefore, be the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spake these words in the ears of David. And David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, On this manner spake David. And Saul said, Thus shall ye say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So what's going on here, brothers and sisters, is in Hebrew hermeneutics, in Hebrew culture, a dowry had to be paid. So you couldn't take a wife unless you gave a gift or paid the father. Why? Because you're taking, uh, you know, somebody who brought in revenue to this man's house. She did work around the house. So now that work had to be done by somebody else. So you actually had to pay or give a gift, which was what was what level you esteem this young lady. And, and Saul is saying, well, listen, I know you're poor, so you don't have to pay me anything. Right. But what I want is the hundred foreskins of the Philistines. I want you to kill a hundred Philistines, right? Now, why did he do this? He did this because he was looking to kill David. First Samuel 18 and 26 reads, And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore, David arose and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines, 200 men and David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full tale to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law and Saul gave him Michael his his daughter to wife and Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Micah Saul's daughter loved him and Saul was yet the more afraid of David and Saul became David's enemy continually now look at this, brothers and sisters. We started with the foothold. The foothold was the jealousy, brothers and sisters. The jealousy of the acclamation of these sisters. The praise, the adulation of these sisters. Jealousy crept in. And from that jealousy, murder kept, crept in. Lying kept in, crept in. We're showing you the progression. It starts with a foothold. Satan just has his foot in the door where you can't close it, right? And now jealousy is his way into Saul. And now that I have a way in, I'm going to bring in not only jealousy, but I'm going to bring in lying. I'm going to bring in murder. I'm going to bring all this in through that same door of jealousy. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let us show you further proof. Let's deal with Judas. Brothers and sisters, let us show you Judas's foothold. Brothers and sisters, where did it begin with Judas? We're going to go to Luke, the 22nd chapter, the 1st through the 5th verse. We're going to show you where the foothold began with Judas. Luke 22 and 1 reads, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him. For they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surname Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. 
And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenant to give him money. Now look at this, brothers and sisters, because here we see that Satan had unrestricted access to Judas. Satan got a foothold in Judas' life and proceeded to advance into other areas. So now, brothers and sisters, we're going to work our way backwards to see where the initial entrance was. See, we started here to show you that Satan was running rampant in Judas' life. Brothers and sisters, follow us to John chapter 12, verse 1, because we already showed you in Luke 22 that what? Satan had entrance into Judas. Now we have to show you where he found, where was the initial interest at? Where was the initial foothold is? Let's go to John, the 12th chapter, the first through the seventh verse. John chapter 12, verse one reads, then Christ, six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Christ and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which would betray him. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Christ, let her alone against the day of my burying, she hath kept this. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm going to read verse four and five again. John 12 and 4 reads, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put in. So brothers and sisters, in verse 5, you see that Judas objected. He said, why is she wasting this oil, right? We could have sold this and gave it to the poor. But verse 6 tells you that he, had, he was a thief and he had the bag. What does it mean he had the bag? He was the treasurer, brothers and sisters. So he controlled the finances for Christ's ministry, right? But it tells you that, well, he was a thief. So Judas provided a foothold by perpetually stealing from the funds provided for the ministry. So now we see that the foothold was what? The foothold was what, brothers and sisters? It was thievery. It was stealing. That was the foothold. How do we know? Because John, the 12th chapter, the 6th verse says that he was a thief and he had the bag. So he had already been stealing from Christ's ministry this entire time. Christ knew this, though. Christ already knew this. Let's go to John 13 and 2. John 13 and 2 reads, 
And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So look at this, brothers and sisters. We're showing you that Satan now has free reign. He's going in and out. of. He's running, he's running him around. He's running him loose. Follow us to John, the 13th chapter, the 21st through the 27th verse. I want you to hear this. John 13 and 21 reads, When Christ had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Christ's bosom one of his disciples whom Christ loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. So Peter was saying, who are you speaking of? You're saying somebody's going to betray you. Verse 25 reads, He then lying on Christ's breast saith unto him, Who is it? Christ answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then saith Christ unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. So we're just showing you the frequency, brothers and sisters, in which Satan is entering into Judas. I don't know if people have ever read this before. So brothers and sisters, we provide footholds for Satan's activity when our sin goes unchecked. He looks for weaknesses and tempts us in that area to see if we'll yield to our sinful desires. This is how he operates. So he was already a thief and then he was offended, brothers and sisters, because Christ corrected him before the other brethren. Said, listen, leave that sister alone, okay? She's doing the right thing. You'll always have the pull with you. She's anointing me for my burial. So then the spirit of offense came in Judas. And what did he do? Right away, brothers and sisters, he went to sell Christ out. Because he was offended. And he was a thief. And we just wanted to show you that the foothold was thievery. According to the, uh, according to the manuscript. It was thievery. He was a thief. And when your sin goes unchecked, it becomes a foothold, brothers and sisters. In which Satan uses that door to bring in other spirits. Follow us to Ephesians 4 and 27. Ephesians 4 and 27 reads, Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Listen to it again, brothers and sisters, because it gives insight into what we've just read. Ephesians 4 and 27 reads, Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. Satan does not gain a foothold in those who walk uprightly. We're reading how we, excuse me, we're reading how a foothold becomes a stronghold. Listen to verse 27. Uh, excuse me, verse, yeah, we'll read 27. Ephesians 4 and 27 reads, 
neither give place to the devil. How do you give place? Listen to verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more. Now look at that, brothers and sisters, because it's telling you that when the sin becomes repetitive, when you heap sin upon sin, when sin goes unchecked, you give place to the devil. What does it mean, give place to the devil? You give him a foothold. You give him a door and a way in, brothers and sisters. He puts his foot in that door, and now he's just pushing on it. He's prying on it until he gets open. See? So, you know, the author understood this. He said, listen, don't give a foothold to Satan. How do you give a foothold? He said, let him that stole steal no more. Why? Because a person that continues in their sin, if it's stealing or lying, now Satan have a foothold to get in because it's gone unchecked. You haven't confessed it. You haven't repented of it. See? Follow us to John 14 and 30. We'll read 30 and 31 and then we'll break. We'll, we'll close out, brothers and sisters. This is Christ. John, the 14th chapter, the 30 and 31st verse read, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. This is Christ's words. Look, in, look at how he said, the devil has no foothold them. Listen, brothers and sisters. John 14 and 30 reads, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and having nothing in me. So look at this. His power is rendered obsolete because he had no foothold nor stronghold in Christ. This is what Christ was saying. He said he had nothing in me. So he can't come against me. See, once he's in, excuse me, once inside, he's no longer a foothold, but rather a stronghold. He has gained more control and Christ understood this. That's why he said, listen, I'm not going to do much talking because why? The enemy is coming, but he has no way inside. He has no way inside of Christ. Why? Because Christ never sinned. He never dealt with repetitive sin or unchecked sin, brothers and sisters. So we went from David, who started with the lust of multiplying uh, concubines and wives, right? Remember that, brothers and sisters? In Second in, uh, Samuel, the fifth chapter. That was well before Second Samuel, the eleventh chapter, where now he's committed adultery and murder. And where did it start? It started with the lust in Second Samuel, the fifth chapter. And then we read in 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter, starting at the 5th verse, all the way to the 29th verse. The foothold that came with Saul through the jealousy of David receiving uh, acclamation, affirmation, brothers and sisters. Jealousy came in, and from that moment, he looked to kill David. He lied unto David. But it began with what? The one sin, the jealousy. That went unchecked. And then we ended it with Judas. We showed that well before Judas 
offered of Christ with a kiss. He was stealing from the ministry. He was a thief. He was the treasurer, but he was taking money from the ministry and utilizing it for himself. He tried to use an excuse and say, well, why is this poor? This Why is this oil not used for the poor? You're a liar, Judas. You're not thinking about the poor. You knew you already had that money calculated in your head and what you were going to do with it once you got it. So we wanted to show you, brothers and sisters, how Satan operates. Why? Because we have to shed light in the darkness. Why? Because we learned that what? Satan will rule over you in any area of your ignorance. So we have to make sure we do, you know, we have to make sure that we reveal Satan's tactics, brothers and sisters. We reveal what he knows and how he's going to utilize what he knows against us, brothers and sisters. I pray that our brothers and sisters don't allow a foothold that will later become a stronghold. Today's lesson, know the enemy. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala, sin no more.